Greetings and salutations, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Cult Spark Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about entertainments of the cult and geek varieties. I am your host, Bob Taylor. I write about film and TV at cultspark.com. Joining me as usual is Stuart Smith. You can also find his work there. Stu, how goes it? Oh, it's going all right. Good, good. Should be an interesting one tonight. It should be, as tonight, for the entire episode, we will Bob be talking... Bob will be wrong. <laughs> we will be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the sequel to my favorite film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as the first of three Marvel Studios movies coming out this year. I have a review up at cultspark.com of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Love the first one. Didn't like this one very much. I I think it's actually my, if I'm ranking the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, this one would be second to last. With Which only, is just, that, just I, with I don't only, even know what to say to with that. only Iron Man 2 after it. Listen, people can go and read my review, see my problems with the movie right now. Since that's out there, since you don't have a review out there, I'm going to let you take the floor first, Stu. You like this movie, correct? I thoroughly enjoyed this you movie. You loved this movie. Yeah, I did. I had a heck, I had a hell of a time watching this movie. I think it's great. Tell the uh, fine people listening why. All right. So, well, first of all, anyone who thinks that this movie is worse than the first Thor, oh, it is, is is out of their mind. You you are you are on crazy pills. I think the first Thor sir. lands more jokes than this movie does. I'll tell you that. No, okay. No. See right there. That right there. <laughs> is just that is the talk of a crazy person. You are literally a crazy person. I love that this movie doesn't really care about plot. No, not uh, at all, because there isn't any. Which is fine. It's it's there's plenty of story, uh, but it doesn't really it doesn't really care about plot. Uh it's just it is concerned about the characters pretty much one hundred percent. There are uh, character moments and emotional arcs, but I don't think there's either plot or story. The story is the the story is the characters and this this emotional uh, journey that they all go on because I don't think there's anyone I don't think that there is a single main character in this movie that does not have some sort of uh, some sort of major development uh, you know within their emotional arc throughout. I this would movie. argue that Drax does not. Okay, Drax is probably the least uh, drastic of anyone in there, but it is there. Uh, I I will argue that it is there, but it is it it is not anywhere near as pronounced as everyone else. Uh, he's you know definitely more kind of integral to um, oh crap what's um, is Mantis? it is it Mantis? Okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I could never I was drawing a blank you there. You love this like, movie so much, you forget the characters' names. Look, Bob, I'm running with very little sleep here as a new dad, okay? So maybe you can just back off a bit. Huh? You thought okay. about doing that? A little that? bit. I'll give you some you space. thought about that? I'll give you Thank some space. You. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you're... We knew this was going to be a contentious episode. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had one, so... I know. Uh, it's kind of good. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just... I, I, I like that it just sort of takes its time to... Uh, and it's so much more focused on uh, these character moments than it is on anything else. And it still manages to have, uh, you know, galactic, intergalactic consequence, but it's all still rooted, uh, you know, in these very emotional moments. I was really surprised that 
I mean, you know, I mean, these characters have always been kind of salty, uh, you know, definitely saltier than your more wholesome Captain Americas, and you know, even even your kind of you know womanizing Tony Stark. But I mean, I was I was not expecting an intergalactic whorehouse in this movie. No. Uh, I was not expecting, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of dick jokes and stuff in here. This uh, is a film it, that I had planned on taking my kids to and have decided that I can't. That doesn't make it a bad movie. Far from it. It's just interesting that this one skews even less family oriented than the first one does, considering which, the toys I, and the Happy Meal right. promotions and, yeah. Which, which I think is, is perfectly fine. I mean, I, I think that right, you need no to kind of, right, yeah. Uh, you know, I like that it's sort of differentiating itself, uh, in that way. But yeah, I mean, I just, I love, I love every character moment in here. I love the way that, that James Gunn was able to surprise me with, uh, with what he did with some of these characters. I never would have guessed that I would be walking out of this movie, uh, just totally and completely moved by Yondu as a character. We should probably uh, stop right here and just remind people we are going to be going spoiler heavy. So oh, make, yeah, sure, make sure you've seen this movie. If you're listening right. past this point, <laughs> uh, I like Michael, Michael Rooker in this movie very much. He's the heart of the movie. I think in a lot of ways, I think too much time is spent on the ravagers as a whole, but Rooker specifically. I like, I do think his story arc of sort of feeling like he's Pete's, you know, sort of adoptive dad and that he's the one that really raised him and cared for him. I, I think it works as sort of an emotional hook for this movie and it works for his character. Part of my problem is, is I don't think that stuff's really played up through the first half of the movie. And then all of a sudden in the second half or towards the end of the movie, when, you know, Yondu gets his big death scene and the movie's making sort of all these, you know, a heavy theme is um, who is your real parents? Who's your real dad? Is it the person right. who gave life to you or is it the people who raised you? It's sort of that stuff is all shoved to the forefront really fast. And because it, it isn't sort of woven throughout the entire film, it feels a little bit forced when it finally comes. But I, I, don't, appreciate, know, I don't know that I would. I, appreciate, I, I just I appreciate what they, what James Gunn, the writer and director, was trying to do. And I actually think Yondu's arc is one of the better in the film. I just think. Rather than sort of building throughout the film, it's just a lot of it's shoved into the final third. I will agree to an extent that they could have fleshed it out a bit more. I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that it's as rushed as you think that it is. Let me uh, say and this. I think, There's a lot of brouhaha early in the movie about Yondu being on the outs with the rest of the Ravagers because he always gives Peter Quill a pass. Right. But I think in the first half of the movie, the part of that that Gunn is leaning on as being important is sort of the political maneuverings of the Ravagers, not how he feels about Peter Quill. Like, at the end of the movie, it seems obvious that the important part of that equation is that Yondu really cares for Pete. But in the first half of the movie, as you're watching it, it seems like a more important thing is, oh, Yondu's been thrown out of his clan, and is he going to get back in? And so it's kind of unbalanced for me. I, you know, I can kind of agree with that to an extent, but I also think that it's, that it's treading a lot on making sure that you, you know, obviously that you've seen the first film because it, it's very much trading off of their interactions there. Yes. Uh, That's you know, so, so I think that, you know, I mean, some of that heavy lifting is already done. Uh, you know, so kind of going to those links to get, Yondu separated, uh, in a sense from the rest of his crew 
is kind of necessary uh, in order for them to do, you know, to to go to the to the, you know, to the end of this that uh, that was planned. So I, you know, I I'm fine with it. You know, yeah, I, I think it probably could have been handled a little bit better, but I, I think it worked the way that it is. I think it works better than other characters' arcs. Let's let's uh, let's go character by character. Are you done with saying what you needed to say overall about? Yeah, the no, movie, I, or do you have I, more to I add? loved it. It's great. You're wrong. It's not awful. What the hell's wrong with you? Let's go character go. by that, character. That's pretty succinct. Star Lord himself, I think, is sidelined for too much of this movie. He's played more of a straight man this time. We don't see a ton of sort of the rascally rapscallion he is in the first one because he's kind of under the sway of his father, Ego, through large chunks of this movie. And once they arrive on Ego's planet, or Ego, Ego is the planet, he's kind of separated from everyone else. He gets some scenes with uh, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, but it's almost like he's separated from the group too much for me for this movie. And I want the fun character back from the first one rather than this character who's sort of held in sway by Kurt Russell. And then he pops out of that at the end, but then it's just sort of like stupid CGI-heavy fight scenes. And I feel like his character is let down from the first film. He's not as much fun to watch. He isn't as much fun to watch, but I think it's in service of doing something actually interesting with the character. Um, because, I mean, yeah, we because I, I, kind of I kind of had a similar thought uh, you know, probably about halfway through the movie. And it's like, wow, yeah, you know, it's like most other times I would probably be, be complaining. It's, it, it's kind of like the, it's the Muppets most wanted complaint, you know, where Kermit is separated from everyone the entire movie. And all it's doing is reminding right. you of, of how much you want Kermit to be back with the group. I did not think um, we would be name checking Muppets most wanted during this podcast, but <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's fair. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's a similar kind of thing. And, you know, and I think in a lot of other situations, I would probably, probably share that uh, complaint or that concern. But I, given that this is in service to actually giving us some really interesting insight into Peter as a character that we wouldn't have really gotten any other way, uh, I'm fine with that because, I mean, we, we got plenty of jokey, uh, you know, fly by the seat of his pants, Peter Quill in the first one, and we'll probably get plenty of that in the third one. Uh, you know, so taking this kind of side, it's it, it's almost like an RPG side quest. You know, where where everything just kind of takes a break from what you expect, and you know, maybe s- splits everyone up for a little bit uh, before finally sort of reuniting everyone at the end. Uh, and that, you know, and that's, that's kind of what goes on here and that's fine. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want them to do this every movie. Uh, but I, I think that it is done to good effect here. Uh, and for good reasons, because uh, again, like I said, I mean, if we just kind of had another space adventure, uh, we probably wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten into the mind of Quill the way that we did here. I've, I have two rebuttals to that. And not that you're entirely wrong, but. I might feel that way if the ending was better. But again, I'm not a big fan of sort of the action sequences at the climax of this movie. And the other thing is, is I could probably go with that if I thought the relationship between Peter and Ego, his father, was more interesting. But I didn't think it was terribly interesting in this movie. I thought Kurt Russell was good. But, I mean, the scene where they pass ball I thought was way too on the nose. 
I thought it was clear way too early that sort of ego was up to no good, and it was not much of a surprise by the time see that, that kind unfolded. of that kind of blindsided me a I, bit. I, I, I think I, it's tipped. I, I mean, they start to tip it pretty hard once Mantis. I, I mean, I think Gunn even wants you to know, suspect something is up a little bit early because I mean, you start was, learn, Mantis starts having this information she doesn't want to give out, and and then I and then once he goes full villain, I mean, I don't really get ego as a character. I mean, it seems the screenwriting there is just kind of, it's kind of blah. Like he, you know, what's his motivation? Well, he wants to kill everything or remake, he's an, he's remake an the enti- universe. He's a, he's a celestial and he's bored and he wants to he's remake the universe. He's an entitled prick is, is the motivation. Is right, that he right. thinks that because he can, he should. It's, then, it's like... It's, it's like the ultimate kind of indictment of the patriarchy in a way, I guess, if you want to get. And then, kind so of, why? Okay, fine. And then, why does he need Peter Peter Quill to help him with this? Well, because it's but, too much work for one guy. That's a little vague, but okay. Well, no, no, no. It's not. It's not too much work. He literally couldn't. The point was that it would it would kill him, like it would expel too much energy. Okay. Well, was the point. he had all these kids hoping that someone else would share this power and and. Peter Quill's the first one that came along that was able to do it, correct? Right. Yeah, that's what Which, it was. coincidence, but okay, he's the lead character in this movie, fine. And then, yeah, he needs his help to continue. And it's all a little vague and very comic booky, which I guess is an odd criticism for what's a comic book movie. <laughs> How dare this comic book but movie? But there's not that. a lot of meat on that plot there. Like, oh, I need more power for my son to do this vague thing and kill everybody. It's like, eh. I don't know. I just wasn't. It's not, it's not really killing everybody, though. That's not, well, at least from really, Ego's perspective, that's well, not really right. what he's, that's right. what, not really his intent. I, I just don't think his viewpoint is ever, his motivation is really I, I will, properly established uh, beyond the very most basic, most comic booky of ways. I mean, very basic. I, I will agree that I was kind of like, oh, well, I mean, so, Wait, it's not. He just really just wants to reshape everything. It's not like it's like it's like they kind. It's like it's vague. Kind of an, well, no, no, it's not vague. It's it's more just like you know you have this build up, and especially with you know once Mantis really starts freaking out, you're like, oh wow, he's gonna like. I mean, this is like some really really dark heinous stuff here. Like what what's he gonna do? And then it's just like, oh, he just wants to kind of redecorate the universe like i think I, if I, they think, had... I mean there are those scenes on earth and on the what's it was it what's the planet that john c Riley's on in the first planet? oh geez um because we see scenes of that planet in earth where his little Kandar. plants yeah where 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 his his little plants are growing in these huge blob things and running amok and it i mean it looks violent it looks like bad things are coming to the species on those planets Right, and but it's just it's like, oh look, the consequence is this blob thing. Okay. And it's just I don't know, like the the I, I think they could have done a better job of kind of visualizing what would happen as opposed to just here's this sort of gelatinous thing that's covering like half a dozen people. You know, like even though it's on multiple planets, I, I don't know. It's like, Were you expecting it, it felt, when it when it cut to Earth and we saw that gelatinous thing? I was half expecting like little cameos, like Iron Man or somebody would show up to fight it and like sort of yeah, something. I thought something I, like I thought that might happen, and when, when it didn't, I was like, I mean, I understand you can't throw Robert Downey Jr. in every movie, but every time they cut to Earth and that thing rung in the muck, I just think I'm thinking, where are Earth's heroes? Shouldn't they be doing something about this? Right, exactly. 
Uh, but I mean, they're not they're not near a Dairy Queen, I guess. I mean, there aren't many <laughs> there aren't many you know rural Dairy Queens in New York right. City. So you know, <laughs> I, I I thought Kurt Russell was good. I always think Kurt Russell's good. I just uh, the character was a little weak, and he's essentially the main villain. I mean, you have the golden-faced people, but they're never really treated as a primary threat in this movie. They're they're really more. I mean, they're almost kind of a joke. It's like half really. comic relief, half right. this sort of outside motivation to push all the characters together. It's again, it was kind of it didn't really click for me. Like when you're watching a movie and it's got a bunch of different pieces, and this movie has a bunch of different pieces. If you're watching a great movie, all those pieces are seamlessly interwoven together as one narrative. And this movie, to me, felt like sort of a bunch of different narratives sort of duct taped together. That's what I felt like while I was watching it. I think it feel it feels more like a an established comic book issue than any of the other you know Marvel movies. Let me explain kind Which of what is, that means. Uh, yeah, like in, 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 in other words, like it's throwing out all these characters and races and and all this stuff, and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, if you like, it, if you already know the history of these characters and where you've seen them and do stuff before, uh, you know, then you have that that sort of greater context, and that's sort of what it feels like is going on here, like. Gun is almost kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, these gold people, yeah, they've run into these people before. Clearly, you know, you, you, you get what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And I can appreciate going for that, but I mean, unlike a comic book issue where there's a new one next month, we're only getting one of these every three years. So it's a little risky. It is, it is risky. I agree. And again, I, I think if the movie was more plot concerned, I would be a bit, you know, bit a bit harsher on it for kind of dropping the ball a little bit in that respect. But it's not really that concerned with it, so I'm not. Let's talk about Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, who I also feel like is giving nothing to do in this movie. Uh, her relationship with Peter seems totally stalled. I guess at the same place it was at the end of the first movie or even backtracked from that a little bit. She's really not giving, I mean, she fights her sister and there's some good action sequences there. My favorite stuff with Gamora is the stuff with Nebula. Right. The which stuff is... with Peter where she's worried about Peter or she won't commit to the relationship. That seems unmoving. I don't really care about it. And for some reason it hasn't advanced at all from the last movie. It, that aspect, her, her stuff with Peter definitely kind of feels a little bit more obligatory. Uh, and they probably could have, you know, cut all that out because i mean peter's still you know womanizing in his own way i mean is their relationship any different at the end of this movie than it is at the end of the first one no not no, really it's like they they kind of like each other we think but they're on this they're work buddies but they're not really in a relationship it's like how have we gone a whole movie and that hasn't budged at all I, i'm fine with it i mean you know it's like we don't need a romance okay really. but then just don't have it but they still allude to it where there's those conversations about that unspoken thing between them so it's right. something that's still on Gunn's mind, and if it's going to be on his mind and it's going to be a part of the movie, advance it in some way. I do like her stuff with Nebula. Her stuff with Nebula really, really works, and I was kind of af afraid of how that would turn out because I think I think Karen Gillan is – is it Gillan or Gillian? I think it's Gillan. Gillan. Uh, I think she's downright terrible in the first movie. Really? Uh, I think her line readings are just absolutely – 
just embarrassingly uh, over the top in a way that just oh, does not work. Harsh on Karen Gillan today. Still, um, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I I like her. She's she's a lovely person, but I just I think that she just didn't. She was still trying to kind of find a balance for uh, for Nebula, but I she she works a lot better uh, this time around, which is a relief because she's way more integral. Uh, to what's going on. And I, you know, I was, I was surprised to, you know, that, uh, you know, with some of the revelations that you get here and, you know, the, uh, kind of the way that she views her relationship uh, with Gamora. And I, it really works. I, I'm glad that, that, uh, Gunn, you know, took that, you know, saw that relationship and really knew how to dig into it deeper. I think it is, I think you could argue that the two most interesting characters in this movie with the two most interesting arcs are Yondu and Nebula. And isn't that a problem? Uh, no. Why is it a problem? <laughs> because they're not even part of the quote-unquote Guardians of the Galaxy. They're secondary characters. They're now giving the strongest material in the sequel, which makes but me they think are the inter- main they characters inter- were let down. They are integral to these characters and who they are and how we relate to them. And so, you know, obviously, well, I mean, at least with, with Yondu, I mean, this is the last we'll get of him. Uh, so I'm fine, you know, I'm fine with that level of focus because it, you know, it gives us great moments with him. Uh, and it, and it illuminates more stuff about Quill as a character, uh, you know, that we can carry forward. So no, I, I think it's fine. Okay. And again, I, I want to state one more time. I think Michael Rooker's fantastic in this movie. He's definitely he is. He really like. I don't know that I would have ever guessed that. You know, I mean, to say nothing of getting ego the living planet in the movie. Uh, you know, Michael Rooker being you know (laughs) being in two Marvel movies. I just it's just that just that's well that timeline. Him and Gunn are good friends in real life, and it's nice to have friends. It is. Uh, Apparently, he does all his own whistling. Nice. Uh, which can I say, speaking of what kind of while we're on the topic of whistling, um, I was surprised at how, like, w- were, was I the only one who was kind of like, wow, this is really the, the whole arrow massacre. Right. I was surprised at how kind of brutal that came across. Um, like the know, body count is just sort of astounding. It's there. a little, it's, it's kind of bloodless, but brutal. It I will is, say, you know what? Blood, I have, but, I have a, I have a problem here too. I think that sequence goes on too long. It's it's bloodless, but it's ruthless. It, yes, I'd agree with that. Which is surprising. And I think it's fine. I think it fits the movie and the universe. I do think that sequence went on too long. Again, there's a lot of time devoted to to the Ravagers there that I think I would have rather seen spent on Peter or Gamora. It's a or, it's a funny gag that I'm I like. Yeah, that's fine. I think, you know, I mean, we don't. Again, we're not getting that ever again. So right. Uh, we have Dave Bautista as Drax, who I thought flat out sucked in this movie. I think, really? I, I mean, Dave Bautista cracks me up in the first one. I think he's hilarious. This one, he gets no character arc. He seems to have completely forgotten about his mission to kill Thanos, which I realize Thanos isn't in this movie, but his daughter is. Drax doesn't seem to much care. He gets a lot of time with Manus and him making jokes at Manus's expense, and I don't think they're funny. And just, I just didn't care for Drax in this movie. I guess you disagree. You're wrong, Bob. I'm wrong that you disagree? No. It's, okay. <laughs> <look>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know 
really have I mean, to say the other stuff than with I, him telling I, Mantis I, that she's ugly and all that. I mean, you thought that was, I just didn't think it was funny. I, you know, it's not I clever. Think like the jokes in the first movie about him not understanding metaphors and stuff, that was clever. The Drax jokes in this movie, they're not cleverly written. I will agree that it's not that he's not as funny. I think you're agreeing with me a lot, Stu. I may be bringing down no, your opinion hey, on this movie. No, hey, no, you you aren't. Okay. Um, I will agree that they're not as funny, but I don't think that he's really. I think that the gun is going for some more substance behind him saying that stuff than necessarily. Oh, look at the guy who you know who's too literal at everything. Uh, you know, because him. Him trying to say that she's ugly is him trying to connect with her in some way. I mean, yeah, it's supposed to be funny, but it's also kind of pointing to something a little bit deeper. I I could see that. It just didn't work for me. We have Baby Groot and Rocket. Uh, Baby Groot's great in it. He's not... For those worried that he was going to be in the two movie too much or sort of pull an Ewoks and make it too cute, it, it doesn't happen. He's actually not in the movie a ton. No, he's really not. He's the actually opening in a, credits. He's actually in a all baby than Groot. I, expected. I know the opening credits, which are all baby Groot, are great. Right. And the sequence where he has to retrieve Yondu's fin and keeps going back again. I could probably argue it goes on a little too long, but that's a cute sequence. It is a cute sequence, and it's like at first I was kind of like, eh, I mean, baby Groot is a funny gag, but I don't, you know, I don't know that. I want a whole movie of just Baby I, I mean, Groot. He really just gets that sequence and the opening credits. I mean, the rest of the time it's just characters putting them him in their lap or on their shoulder. Right. Well, unless I'm forgetting something. Well, at the end when he has the bomb and he has to, but right. Even that's intercut with a bunch of other stuff going on. Right. And so, but I mean, for whatever trepidation that I had, it was totally worth it for the teenage Groot stinger. I like that stinger. Uh, I think that I think that was uh, I was not expecting that. Um, what was your favorite uh, of the stingers, Stu? There were five stingers in this film. Which one did you like the most? Um, oh, let's see. Let's let's run let's run through them real quick. Uh, there was the uh, Sean Gun with the arrow. Sean Gun with the arrow. Right. Uh, Sean Gun with the arrow was really funny, if only because Dave Bautista screaming uh, right. was just really funny. Uh, Teenage Groot. Pretty good. Uh, the the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which I could care less about. Uh, I could care less about it, mostly because, I mean, I have zero familiarity, although I do immediately want Michelle Yeoh uh, in a Marvel movie. Yes, I'd be down with that. Uh, and, and more Stallone, sure, because it's Stallone, why not? Uh, Adam, uh, Adam Warlock, which was my favorite, because I am a Marvel nerd and I do like Adam Warlock. Uh, I have almost no familiarity with Adam Warlock, so I was just kind of like, oh, cool, they're actually doing Adam Warlock next. Uh, you know, so it, it's fine, whatever. Um. Uh, and then the last one was Stanley with the Watchers, right? Yeah, that was fine. That was cute. That was fine. I uh, like seeing so, the Watchers. Okay, so at first my impression was he's actually a Watcher, but he's he's not. He's just Stanley that somehow ends up in space, right? From what I understand, he's not a Watcher, but he is some sort of all powerful traveling being, and he's actually been playing the same character in all his cameos. Okay. And that he's she's he's high enough on the celestial ladder to go hang out and talk to the watchers, but he's not officially a watcher. Right. That's what I got. And okay. they're and even they're kind of annoyed by him, like this fucking guy. Right. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of clever and neat. Right. Yeah, it's it's kinda of funny. I mean at this point uh, so you yeah, gotta so do she, something different she, with the Stan Lee uh, you know, cameos or right. been so many. Right. Uh, Rocket was fine. 
before going on a rocket. It was fine. I he gets a little bit of an arc. Yondu teaches him a little bit that at some point you got to take responsibility for yourself and be a better person or raccoon in this case. I don't think it's a huge arc. It's it's not a huge arc, but I think you know just those those few moments that we do get, uh, you know, where he allows himself to kind of realize. Uh, his immaturity, I guess, is right. it's honestly it's, it's more than what I expected. Uh, you know, you don't really go into this expecting a machine gun toting raccoon to have much of an arc. So, I mean, the fact that we got what we did, I think, works really well. Uh, Rocket is probably my, I think, the least interesting, you know, of the characters overall. You know, I mean, he's fine. I like him. I like him as a character, but I just, you know, I don't, I don't really find him all that interesting. So it's, just, you know, it's. Yeah, hey, we got what we got. It works, uh, and it doesn't detract from anyone else. So, yeah, yeah, it's it works. It's good. I said in my review that I think James Gunn made the mistake of thinking that the Footloose jokes in the first one were the funniest jokes in the movie, which they weren't. And it's like he doubled down on the 80s stuff. I hated the Pac-Man bit. I did not like the Hasselhoff cameo. Like, none of that stuff really worked for See, me, the, quite the frankly. Hassle, Hassle I thought it was embarrassing. The Hassle- you thought the Hasselhoff cameo was embarrassing? Yeah, just embarrassing. Why? It just didn't fit. I've heard no, people... No, it totally fits. Because... I've heard people talk about how they don't like the dance-off at the end of the first film, how it's too sort of silly for a Marvel movie. I disagree. I think it works gangbusters in the first movie. But in this movie, this stuff just felt too kind of tacky and out of place for me. The, so, okay, the Hasselhoff cameo would have would have felt more out of place if... Uh... You know, if we didn't have that bit of context where Quill uh, is like, right. I used to tell, you know, I mean, it's, it's I, literally. I, get, I understand why they did it. I just, it didn't, I mean, it's meant as a joke. You're supposed to laugh. And I didn't. I don't know. See, I didn't, I mean, it was, it was a cute reference, but I didn't laugh because, I mean, the whole emotion of that well, scene okay, it's is. when Kurt Russell is angry and it's right. like, oh, it, I could have been, I could have looked like this for you. And I understand it's not just sort of a gag but but it kind of is i mean i mean it's it, it, it is a it is a gag but the way that it's used is is way more emotionally charged than i would have expected a david hasselhoff cameo to be okay okay i'll concede that <laughs> uh t- didn't care about sylvester stallone didn't care about taser face again all the sort of ravager stuff and ravager politics I, the, the taser face stuff was hilarious with I mean, rocket was, going off on him uh, it was mildly amusing i, I thought it was great i don't really think anything in this movie was hilarious to be honest um, what's it like to be a joyless lump bob <laughs> uh it's hard some days Clearly, some days I will. I will agree that I was hoping for more Stallone, uh, and I was obviously I mean, hoping. I wasn't for hoping some... for more. We needed less. I mean, it's like one extra character when our main characters aren't even being properly serviced. Well, look, I just, I just wanted an intergalactic tango and cash reunion. That, that's all I wanted. And we didn't get it. We didn't. Although we did get an intergalactic cliffhanger reunion. Yes, which is probably better anyway, honestly, right? <laughs> cliffhanger is the is. Mm, I don't know. I love Tango and Cash, man. It's, <laughs> it's Neither of them are good. Really, I I I will argue that Tango and Cash is great in its own way. If I won the lottery tomorrow. I think I'd pony up for an Escape from New York sequel where we use the technology to de-age Kurt Russell for the entire movie. I think it could be done. 
I, you know, I, I think Kurt Russell would probably be game because that first scene where they've de-aged him to 30, it looks, I, I've heard people saying it looks fake or rubbery. I think it looks fantastic. I don't, I don't think it looks fake. I think they should have slimmed his face a little bit, but that's really my only complaint. I, I, I wonder if even, I mean, it's all Disney. So they, do they use the same effects team? You'd think they would. But the the CG work that they use for Tarkin and Leia in Rogue One, I think, looks so shitty. But then for whatever reason, again, I don't know if it's the same effects people or different effects people, but the de-aging of Michael Douglas in Ant-Man, the de-aging of Robert Downey in Civil War, and the de-aging of Kurt Russell here, I think they all look fantastic and it's getting better. I think I think some of the problem with at least the Tarkin stuff versus this is that they had to do way more of the Tarkin stuff. Sure. Whereas with Michael Douglas and Kurt Russell, it's basically like one short scene. And also in, in these instances, you have the actual actor right, playing the exactly. part. You're just de-aging the real actor, not trying to turn a different actor into a completely different person. Exactly. So I guess that's easier. Yeah. Although I will say, like, I, like there's something off about the way that Downey looks in Civil War with his younger self. I, it's hard for me to put my... My finger on like it, it like part, that's probably listen, part the, of it is your brain knows that there's a computer effect there. So it's almost like, you know what I mean? You know that they right. didn't time travel and get a young Robert Downey Jr. So it's almost like it's hard to navigate what problems you're really having with with what you're seeing or your brain just saying this can't be real because rationally we know it's not real. Yeah, I think it looks pretty great. I, I think Kurt Russell in this movie is the best. I'm ready for a 35 year old Snake Plissken. Escape from Chicago, <laughs> or wherever it's going to be. Plus, Escape from L.A. is so prescient now, I think the world needs a new escape movie. <laughs> seems the, poli- the political climate is right to get Snake Plissken back. And to Man, be fair, listen, you know what? I'm comfy with a grizzled old Snake Plissken coming back with no CGI as well. But Right. Well, I mean, that would be fine, too. I, You know, I... I'm not torn up about a, uh, about an Escape from New York remake. I don't think that Escape from New York is that great as it is. Now who's being fucking blasphemous? Um, Knock that shit off. Escape from New York is a masterpiece, dude. Oh, just uh, you won't. You just don't even want to. You know, <laughs> it's boring. It's kind of boring. It it's might be not... John Carpenter's best movie. No, no, you are insane. Is you Hall- are absolutely is, is insane. Halloween in the discussion? Yes. Is the thing in the discussion? Yes. But I might take Escape from New York. Tight. No, no, you're just at no, no. Still, don't I wanna, even. I want to be very clear where I'm at about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not a terrible film. It's it's fine. I would award it three. I did award it three stars out of five. Totally average movie. Not nearly as good as pretty much every other Marvel movie, except for Iron Man two. Um, I'm still happy that James Gunn is going to write and direct Volume three. I think this universe is distinctly his. Like, I can't see them just pulling a random filmmaker and having them come in and being able to bring this universe to life in the same way Gunn does. I am totally on board with him coming back and making a part three, a volume three that maybe appeals more to me. I just, as much as I love the first one, I just was disappointed by volume two. I assume you're fine with Gunn coming back. Oh, yeah. No, I think he's got a great handle on these characters. Uh, You know, I mean, he gets the inherent weirdness here. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, no, uh, sure, bring him on. Were you surprised? I thought for sure, either via the movie proper or via the stingers, that the Guardians were going to end up on Earth at the end of this movie to lead into Infinity War. And I was actually surprised that there was no even attempt to tie that in. 
yeah. I don't think I was, that's a bad thing. That's not a criticism. I just I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I figured that there would be something, uh, you know, even just like a stinger saying, oh, hey, you know, like some kind of signal taking him to right. Earth. Uh, just, you know, something. Right, because uh, now, now Infinity War is going to have to do all the exposition of how how and why these people are back at, are at Earth. Right, yeah. You think that they do one small bit of, of heavy lifting there. And that's one yeah. last thing I want to say, uh, speaking of, you know, the Russos are directing this that that film. And I appreciate what Gunn tried to do here. Because if you watch Captain America Winter Soldier or Captain America Civil War, the Russos are able to give a lot of different characters a lot of different arcs. And everybody sort of gets their own little storyline in those movies. And they do it beautifully. And Gunn is also working with a lot of characters in the Guardians universe, especially with Yondu. Nebula giving bigger roles, Mantis coming in, and he tries to do the sort of same thing the Russos do, which I appreciate. I just don't think he pulls it off nearly as well. I don't think this movie's anywhere near as deftly put together as those last two Captain Americas are. Um, you're stunned. No, you I'm no just, argument to make. See the the aims of what this is going for. That's, is so is so different than what fair. Civil War is having to to juggle. I, that's fair. It, I'm only comparing them in as large cast, every character serviced with an arc. That's the only comparison I'm drawing. Here. But see, I don't think every character is serviced with an arc in Civil War. I think there are Ooh. there are way more characters that aren't. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'd say that oh. Black again, Widow Black Widow is not serviced with an arc in Civil War. Yeah, she kind. Is kind of, but barely. I mean, it's barely Again, there. You're coming back to this movie where the lead characters. I don't think Quill. Ha- I mean, Quill has a, an emotional arc, I guess, but I didn't totally buy it. Gamora has very little arc. Drax has very little arc. That's my argument here. Three stars out of five, Stu. How many are you giving it? I'd give it. Uh, I'd give it a solid four. Um, I it's it's not in my uh it's not in my top five. I don't think. I don't know. I I need a little bit of distance from it. It is not uh, better than any film with the word Thor in the title. Yes, it is, and you are insane. None. The Thor, the Thor, mo- the Thor, Thor, Thor movie is better than the first Thor, but the first Thor is so boring. The most underrated. Oh my films, god, it's so boring. The most underrated films of the Marvel Cinematic no, Universe are no, the you Thor are, films, you are out of your mind. which are hilarious. Great fish out of water stories, great supporting cast with Skarsgård and Kat Dennings, Chris Hemsworth's wonderful love the Thor movie, stoked for Ragnarok, which has a 50% chance of being the best Marvel movie of 2017 now. Because it's your sh- Spidey, and one of them is going to be better than Guardians, if not both of them. I will share your enthusiasm for Ragnarok. I am absolutely looking forward to it. Um you know, it's almost like, oh no, don't show the trailer in front of this, because I just want to watch that. Yep. You know, like if, if I like if I could have if I could have left the theater for for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and immediately gone to go see Thor Ragnarok instead, I'd have done it. Yeah, me too. Hoping for a better movie. We're, just, seriously. <laughs> we're calling that a show, Stu. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> uh, Pleasure as always. Listen, everybody, if you want to stay in touch with us, here's how you do it. Uh, you can listen to the Cult Spark podcast on iTunes. Please subscribe. You can throw us a review there. We'd love that. Uh, we write. Stu writes the Van Damage Report, other things. I do movie reviews. We have a lot of good writing at cultspark.com. You can also find us at Facebook and Twitter at cultspark. I'm on Twitter at Robert B. Taylor. Stuart is on Twitter at Stu B. Doo. So that's all the different ways you can interact with us online. 
Uh, we'll be back and see you in a couple weeks, hopefully. Until then, happy movie watching.